the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. Today we are going to be talking about one of the models that students often seem to get confused. So we're going to talk about SWOT, which you may have heard of, and TOES and why they matter. And I'm joined by uh, tutor Keith Rowland, who tutors our CIM Diploma and Level 6 Apprentices. Keith, welcome. In fact, technically, welcome back. Um, Thank you. <laughs> can we just start with, with what the acronym actually is? So what is SWOT? What does it mean? So it stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities and Threats. And it's one of those deceptively simple ones. So um, we're going to move into TOES later. We'll start with SWOT, but um, TOES is just SWOT backwards, isn't it? I think so, yes. <laughs> I don't think it stands for anything in its own right, but um, it's, a, it's rather more than that, of course. Brilliant. OK, well, we'll start with SWOT. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Why does it, why does it matter? Because it seems such a sort of relatively simple thing. Mm. Well, I think anybody who's been on a half-day marketing course has heard of SWOT. Um, <laughs> and um, a lot of people think this is where you begin your uh, marketing plan. And, I mean, in a sense it is, but it's the summary of your audit or situational analysis or where you're starting from. So, uh, before you can even get around to doing your SWOT, you need to study and populate a number of models for the internal and external environment. The um, internal environment will be your strengths and weaknesses, and your external environment will be your opportunities and threats. There are a couple of very common mistakes that people make. Go on. So, um, the first thing, people get very confused by this word opportunities. Um, mm. Opportunities doesn't mean things you could do. It means good things in the external environment. So, that's really important. So, just to, just to summarise, strengths and weaknesses are internal. Opportunities and threats are external. Strengths and opportunities are positive. Weaknesses and threats are negative. That's the first thing that people get confused about. So um, don't think too much about that word opportunities. It just means good external things. Um, the other thing that people, um, I think, mistake is that SWOT is not a time for blue sky thinking. <laughs> SWOT is a summary. It's a summary of all of the best bits of your audit. So what I encourage people to do is when they write the models for the internal, the micro-external and the macro-external, just to pull out the highlights of those as a couple of bullet points under each model. And then you can just copy them into the SWOT. All you have to do is organise them. Okay, right. There's lots, lots there. And um, uh, okay, so let's go, let's go back over that. So you said an audit. So just define what an audit is. So an audit is the starting point for any plan. I, I always say that every plan ever starts from where you are. So um, just like you and I, Kieran, cannot have uh, lunch today in San Francisco, 
because we are in England um, and it just wouldn't be possible to get there. It's crucial that every plan has two nodes, a beginning and a destination. Um, the audit or situational analysis is where are we now? Brilliant. Excellent. And then you talked about internal, micro and macro environments. So let's go through those. Mm. So an internal environment. So when you start with a plan, you need to think about the resources and capabilities that you've got inside your organization. Now, some of those will be positive and some of those will be negative. And in fact, if you can find some negative things which become your weaknesses, that's really helpful because that's absolutely golden when you're trying to later on think about things you could do. So uh, you're looking for the good and the bad in terms of your capabilities and resources. And if you've got something that is absolutely a key strength that you are uh, that, you, that you use as a differentiator, then that would be your core competence. That's uh, something to be you know, celebrated. But generally, you're looking for the good and the bad. And the things that are neither here nor there, they're not very interesting. So um, let's you know, leave those to one side. Brilliant. And micro-environment? So the micro-environment are the things that are all around you directly around you. So they might be upstream like suppliers or downstream like distributors and customers. Uh, and they might be competitors. They might be new entrants into your market. They might be substitutes. And people don't often think about substitutes. But, you know, if you were a, uh, a conference uh, centre before COVID, you probably didn't think that Zoom and Teams and so on were competitors of yours, but they were. They were substitutes in a way, but indirect competitors. Yes, I always think substitutes is, is really interesting. I, um, I teach a number of pharma people and I'm always saying a substitute to what you're offering as a medicine is not your competitor's product. It's somebody going, sod this, I'm just going to take a, um, I'm going to do, do something different, just take a supplement or whatever. Absolutely, or do nothing. Yes, uh, and we uh, often uh, forget that customers can do that. They can just go, no, I'm just not going there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we've got the micro environment, which is the, which is the things directly around our company, um, upstream, downstream, and all around, that, uh, that, that to some extent we can affect or are affected by. Brilliant. And then macro, which is actually, I think, the one that everyone gets really excited about. Yes, because it's the old pest model or <laughs> pester or pestel as it's become. Um, and, and people struggle with the reference for that, by the way. So if you're listening, it comes from a, a chap called Aguilar from 1967 all the way back there where he came up with pests. So this is, I mean, that stands for um, uh, politics, economics, uh, social and technological um, that's the original macro environment, the, the, the things that are perhaps a little bit further out from where we are uh, and that we can't directly affect. So at the moment, that would be things like perhaps the cost of living crisis and inflation? Absolutely, indeed. Um, and, and some of the, the, the politics as well that might be affecting things as well. Um, uh, you know, technological, there's a lot going on there in AI and various things like that that people are all very interested in. <laughs> so when we're talking, so we the SWOT, you've, you do this analysis first, your audit, your intel, your micro and your macro, and then you put, you actually said cut and paste it into the SWOT. 
Yes, if you've done if you've done bullet pointed conclusions, short bullet points after every model, just a few bullet points of the key highlights that you've the insights, if you like, that you've got from every model. So you pull those down out of the model and just copy them, just pop them down as uh, bullet points. And then when you come to doing your swatch, you can just copy paste those bullet points and just organize them into internal strengths and weaknesses, external, that's both micro and macro opportunities and threats. Brilliant. And we're making this sound quite academic, but in fact, it's something that companies do use. I mean, the college uses it on, on its business planning side, not just when we're teaching. Well, yes, but they mostly, most companies don't do the underpinning models. So they just sit in a room and go, what are our strengths and weaknesses? Mm. What are our opportunities and threats? Without having thought about the theoretical models that underpin that. Yeah, and they, as you say, that's a, a huge mistake because you end up just doing blue sky thinking and it really doesn't help. Mm. Mm. Okay, so that's that's SWOT. Deceptively simple, but people use it in the wrong way. When it's actually used properly, it's incredibly powerful, isn't it? Only if you go on to the next bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about toes. So you've said it, it is just SWOT backwards. It doesn't sort of actually stand for it. So wh why do you think this is powerful? It's the pivot of your whole marketing plan. It's, um, if you think that the SWOT is the review of how things are now, the TOES is the beginning of strategic options. This is where you're coming up with things that you could do. This is where you start to move forward. And I think this is where the magic happens. Okay, so um, it, I think one of the reasons people don't use TOES is it's a slightly more complicated looking model. When you use SWOT, it's dead easy. It's just a two by two matrix. And we all love those in marketing. Mm. We have lots of them. TOES mm. looks slightly different. So can you talk me through what you actually do, the steps? Well, absolutely. So first of all, you've got to take your strengths and your opportunities. So those are the good things that are internal and the good things that are external. And you match them together. This is where you find uh, strategic options that are likely to be very good ones because you're leveraging, if you like, your strengths to align with your opportunities. Once you've done those, that's, be that's become your SO, if you like, strengths and opportunities combined. Then you do the same with your um, threats. You take your strengths and you work out what your threats are and you use your strengths to, I don't know, mitigate your threats to some extent. Then we come to our weaknesses. And this is where we, uh, again, align those to our opportunities and threats. And although it sounds a bit negative, actually, this is where some really important things come out because you... Probably, in, in the case of, of uh, key weaknesses or Achilles heels, you need to do something about them. So um, when you start comparing your weaknesses to your opportunities, your W-O, and your weaknesses to your threats, your W-T, you really can come up with some very powerful ideas that may well become winning strategies. So you should now have four boxes. SO, ST, WO, and WT, as you've aligned those strengths and weaknesses to those opportunities and threats. And generally, I would say, 
you should come up with about a dozen altogether, you know, three or so in each of those boxes. The three of the best three. Um, it doesn't have to be that exactly, but something in the region of that is a good number. Yes, because I think, again, there's always this um, feeling that we should have lots, um, mm. either academically or even in the in the real business world, because if we haven't done the if we've done the exercise properly, there'll be lots. Um, so you, mm. your recommendation is very much the top three. Well, I think that's part of your skills that you need to develop in terms of identifying the best ones. Um, I think, it, it, although we tend to think that more is more, um, mm. sometimes less is more, and that's sometimes harder to do because you've got to actually condense things and prioritise them, and, and that's an exercise in itself. We've ended up with four boxes. I've got weaknesses to my opportunity. No, is that right? Weaknesses to opportunities well, or weaknesses to threats? Yes. Both. <laughs> <laughs> Both. And strengths to opportunities and strengths to threats. And I've got yes. three bullet points in each box and I've prioritised them. Ish. Now well, you, you've prioritised them to get them down to three or four okay. or something like that um, so that they're the best ones. And uh, that just using your judgment, you can, you can see that some you're really scraping away and some are um, really obvious. And, and, and the... Uh, it's it's not good to have 15, 20 or more because you won't see the wood for the trees. So the, what do I then do with these boxes? Well, we've now got maybe a dozen potential strategies or strategic options. And strategic options, amongst those, will be your winning strategy. Amongst those also will be some that really are not going to be winners and that um, later on we will filter out. Thank you. Yeah, a process of elimination, literally just going, well, that isn't going to work, that isn't going to work. Is that part of my prioritisation? Um, no, th this is much more sort of uh, methodical and involves um, uh, more models and, and, a, and a funnel that I have uh, developed but not published. So I always tell people <laughs> you can't quote Keith's funnel because nobody will have heard of it. Um, but there are four tests that you now apply to your strategic options, your dozen or so strategic options that you generated in toes. You now need to put those through this funnel or, or, or set of filters to eliminate the weaker strategies. Excellent. And that, as a and that again, helps me think and work out where I'm going. Absolutely. Um, so, shall I tell you about um, the, the four tests? Um, uh, it's a, yes, it's a big subject. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The the first thing, set aside your your um, uh, strategic options for a moment, and go ahead and generate some objectives. That is the next step that you need to do, and those objectives need to be derived from your corporate vision and mission and corporate objectives. Uh, so you come up with a, a set of, of marketing level objectives. I don't mean comms objectives, I mean strategy level objectives. And that is, so then you've, you've got those parked. So you've also got your toes parked. The next thing you do is you do, you look at Ansoff's matrix and you make a decision as to which quadrant in Ansoff you're going to go for. 
we'll come back to what Anne's off is. Carry on with your four and then I'll come back to that okay. one. Okay. So you've got your your four Ansoft choices and you've chosen one of those. Now you map your toes, your dozen or so strategic options to Ansoft. Now, frankly, some of your strategic options don't map to Ansoft because they've got nothing to do with it. So they get a buy into the next round. Some of them will fit your Ansoft choice. So they win and go through to the next round. And some of them will uh, will go with the wrong Ansoft choice, the things that you've not chosen to do, and those go in the bin. <laughs> now you move on with the survivors, either the ones that won or the ones that got a buy into the next round. And you offer them up to Porter's generic strategies. You can use Bowman's clock, but generally most people use Porter's generic strategies. You've made your decision regarding Porter's generic strategies and you map the survivors, the ones who got through or got a buy from the first round, and you map those to Porter's gen your decision on Porter's generics. And again, some won't fit at all and they get a buy into the next round. And some will fail and some will win. So the winners and the ones with a buy go through to the next round. The next round is your objectives. So you're going to map the uh, surviving strategic options against your marketing objectives and eliminate any that don't deliver to your marketing objectives. Brilliant. OK, right. We had a number of... Um, theories in there. So the two I want to pick up on, because Bowman clock can take half an hour to explain, um, mm -hmm. are the ANSOF matrix, which you said is a four by four matrix. And yes, it was one marketers, of the first love, of a, marketers love a four by four or two by two matrix, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do. Four boxes. So tell yeah. me the ANSOF matrix very simply. <laughs> right. Well, it depends on whether you want to continue to sell the same kind of products to the same kind of customers or whether you want to find new markets for your existing products or develop new products for your existing markets or both. Um, generally, um, the, the, the first one is the obvious one, the easiest one, market penetration it's called. It means keep doing what you're doing and do it more. Um, mm -hmm. But sometimes that sounds easy, but it's not always easy because you may well be in a saturated market. You may well have a good market share of a fairly static market. However, if you think you can gain market share or grow the overall market, then market penetration may well be for you. I mean, you're always going to continue to sell products to your existing customers, but is that where you're going for growth? Or do you need to find new markets or new, significantly different new products. I don't just mean a line extension. I don't just mean a green one. I mean, um, um, or a longer one. I mean, um, something, it's like you make soap and you're going to start making shampoo or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so either finding new markets or new products or both. So you make a decision um, based, on, based on that, the Ansoft decision. Fantastic. And then the other one, key one that you mentioned was Porter's generic strategies. Mm. Essentially, to be, to be a competitor, you need to either be better or cheaper. 
stands to reason. Mm-hmm. Now, cheaper is just cheaper. You know, if your pound shop and 99p shop move in next door and then 98p shop move in down the road, you know, you've lost your differentiator. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, competing on price, which means essentially driving out cost is a very slippery slope and probably will involve most of us being made redundant because we're an expensive asset. So um, you can compete on cost. And if you do, you need to do it relentlessly like Primark do, like Ryanair does, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and drive out all the cost as much as possible. Uh, offshoring um, is, is a, 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 another thing that you might consider uh, doing, but that has its downsides as well. So do you want to compete on cost or do you want to be better in some way? And of course, that's a subjective thing to be better. Um, So generally, most companies opt to differentiate by being better in some way. The other dimension of Porter's generic strategies is do you want to be a mainstream player or do you want to be a niche player? Um, and you have to make a decision on that. And being niche can mean that you are, uh, you know, you are very well differentiated, but within a very, very small marketplace, which can be very, very lucrative. I think that's the other reason why sometimes people are frightened to go down a niche route. Now, I've got to be all things to everybody. But actually, if you are niche, I don't know, data analytics, that can be a very great place to be. Mm, absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, a, a, a lot of very successful companies are, are, are niche. Uh, and if you can dominate that niche, then uh, you you will do as long as the niche is big enough <laughs> um, mm. and viable, you will do well. And the other thing is, of course, it only has to be big enough for your company and what your company's objectives are, which I suppose is where we came in with SWOT and Toes. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Keith, that was um, a fantastic overview of SWAT toes and Ansoff and Porter's generic strategies. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, finally, is there any advice you would give someone if they wanted to sort of run off with SWAT and toes and have a go at this? Yes, read the book. so um, Cambridge Marketing College do an excellent companion guide for marketing and digital strategy which is issued to our apprentices and our students and most of the models that you need for for SWOT are in chapter 2 of that book and I urge everybody to read that book especially chapter 2 Fantastic. Keith Rowland, thank you so much. That was an absolute masterclass in in, uh, how to use SWAT toes and the other two models that you, I don't think you were expecting me to ask you about. Thank you so much. (laughs) And uh, see you in in San Francisco for lunch. Oh, good idea. Thank you. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.